it was three years of learning to say the least, but like that was just a great learning opportunity, but it was not what we wanted to do. Too many hours, so much work, so much stress. And that to me kind of shifted my mindset towards real estate of it's really not that hard. People worry about getting into their first deal and the risk involved. And I'm like, well, you've never owned a business where the overhead is X of, let's just say $30,000 a month is your overhead. Well, what happens when you have a bad week? Well, in real estate, if you miss your mark by 10%, you're still making good money. Welcome to RIA Radio, episode 42 with Chase Collier. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> sound like the Kool-Aid man. You're listening to RIA Radio, the nationally trusted name in real estate investing. We dig deep to discover investors' why in real estate. If you want to skip all the BS and get in investors' heads, you're in the right spot. Be one of the thousands to check out RIAradio.com. Holy moly, Owen Dasher, that episode sucked. (laughs) Retake. (laughs) Owen, buddy, good to see you again, man. You too. Bam! (laughs) Happy Friday. Your uh, kid's last day of school? Last day of school. I got a jet out of here in a few minutes to go pick up Carson and Skyler. And then the rest of the summer, uh, I don't know, but you actually had to turn over my my travel schedule to uh, to accommodate to everybody. And I was like, I I went to my wife. I go, do you realize that every single other week until middle July we're out of town? Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Going to Washington D.C. this week, and then and then two weeks later we have a we got a cabin, and then two weeks later going to Mexico. And then two weeks later, going to Minnesota and taking the camper up for a week, and uh, living the high life, something like that. Yeah, so, dang, that's nice. Well we have deserved. what's yeah. that? Well deserved. Yeah, yeah. You need it. You need to refresh yeah. all this. I need to, that way you can get my beauty face back. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> the resting Ted face, especially after especially after all the all the golfing. So, yeah. Uh, wow, I'm glad so, you recovered from that. You missed out on a good time, buddy. I heard that. Yeah, and yeah, we we recovered that once out of me. Hey, so uh, just give you a little bit of background on Chase and the, today's podcast. We got we got a young thirty year old. We say thirty, but he looks like he's twenty one, twenty two. He does, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I sat down with him for. Uh, we talked about this how I sat down with him for a one on one, and I was just kind of blown away. I had no idea all the things he had going on, and I literally was sitting there and I'm like, I'm I I just you know when I introduce you people, I want you to know, and you just have this jaw drop. That yeah. was that was a moment I had when I when I sit in Chase. I'm like I'm like I mean I had no idea you had all this going on. But uh, been married to Catherine for five years. He's got four dogs. <laughs> Can you imagine how much dog pee is going on in that house? Yeah. Well, I don't know. They're, I mean, they're all little though, so the quantity. My, my dog pee. My dog's getting old and it's peeing like three times a day right now with the UTI. And I just I'm I'm done. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but his wife trains dogs, so they probably train to pee in a particular spot. You know. Uh, Owen, do you, uh, Owen, does Dennis have a dog? <laughs> Dennis, do you? Uh, hey, 
You can give advice without being involved, right? Isn't that a, isn't that what most talk show people do? I don't have a dog. Shut the front door then. <laughs> I don't have a dog. But Shut I'm, the front door. But I'm almost sure that that I'm almost sure that Chase's wife trains them to pee in a particular area. I'm almost. Well, sure. there you go, Ted. Well, we can do the Chase's wife training on that then. Um, but, <laughs> but he's uh, he's got 16 doors. He's got uh, he had zero doors just in May of 21. Which is you know a feat. Uh, he's he's partner in a, a, a company like yours, but called Quickjaw Lending, which he's mm-hmm. doing hard money yep. lending with Stephen Sykes that we had on a previous episode. Uh, he oversees a group called the Organization, which is a mastermind group in Lincoln and Omaha. You called it <laughs> <laughs> the Illuminati. The Illuminati. <laughs> And then uh, he's got multiple entities, and he does hold and flips. And the really cool thing is, is that he jumped into a partnership, and he's got beachfront property. Beachfront property. I mean, that's kind of a mic drop moment. And it's at a young. I mean, like, who owns beachfront property when they're thirty years old? That seems like an old dude. Not move. us. Yeah, no, not us. Definitely, <laughs> we gotta step our game up. Son. I know. I feel unworthy. Tell me, uh, about, tell me about your week, bro. Uh, so I had a good week. I met with uh, the infamous Cat Theo. Oh, did you on Monday? What's yeah, happened up to. Uh, so Cat uh, was. How many followers she up to now? Oh man, that's she, a good question. I didn't ask. You, you didn't know, ask her she, it's, I mean, I assume five hundred thousand. Well, I mean, as soon as she did the podcast, I just figured that put her over the edge. Right. So Cat Theo, most of you have probably heard from. Um, Dennis will link to Cat's episode in the show notes, uh, won't you, Dennis? Yes, he's shaking his head. Yes. Um, so, uh, cat is Instagram famous and has been a world traveler and has started recently, like releasing some content about real estate investing. Previously to that, she did, uh, basically travel type of, uh, Instagram content. Did you tell her about our interview with Sarah Weaver? Cause they're kind of, I don't think they're, we they're talked about some, that. Some, that they are actually, I, I, I don't know why they didn't come up. Cause I, they're both taught foreign language around the, around yes, the world yeah. and, and, and traveled and yeah, no, I cats. Uh, she's just such a great, I mean, she's, I have a soft spot for cat. She's, she's a good person. Um, but no, she, we were talking about business, th- uh, business stuff and she had a deal that she was working on and was trying to help out another investor. And she wanted to know kind of the best way to go about it. And, you know, we had a long conversation about that. So it was, uh, yeah, it was all good. So I met with Kat and then, um, yeah, I've had an interesting last couple of weeks. I got a, an office building under contract, uh, that was, that's 27 units, um, 27 office building units, 27, all office. So five story, uh, it's in council bluffs. Oh, who has office there? The whole building's leased. So twenty seven leased <laughs> units, one hundred percent. It's a lot of people. Yeah, it's. What, uh, what, what's an office in this place rent for? Like, what's the what's the minimum? Oh price? man, what you want to you want to know what the lowest one is? Yeah, one hundred seventy five dollars. Oh sweet. Yeah, new re, new Ria podcast studio. May <laughs> I don't know if it's big enough. <laughs> so it's small, uh, small space. One hundred seventy five dollars for a couple of them, and then it kind of goes, you know, in various flavors from there. But yeah, there's like attorneys, massage therapists, like family, um, like family connections is there. Um, it's a really, really cool property. Like it's it's historic. Is so it, it's it's almost a hundred years old. It's two years away. Is it a legitimate uh, massage therapist center? Yeah, the whole like there's one whole floor. Yes, Ted, come on. This is a this is a PG podcast. I didn't say anything wrong. I just yes. asked if they were legit. No, no, it's really cool, and I'm excited about it. It's a flat roof. Uh, so we had a roof inspection, a boiler inspection, which is brand new last year. 
um, and a sewer line inspection. So that was the three main due diligence items. We got all the leases. So we're reviewing those. So we're through the DD period, and we're going to be closing on in about a month and a half. What's your feeling on having a boiler system on a building like that? I don't like it. I don't like boilers. <laughs> so will you take those out, or is it that cost? Oh, God, to, no. To yeah. Them? Oh, no. Yeah. I mean – but if you Unless did, you want to be an indentured servant to your business for the next five years, you're, you it don't would, want to it do wouldn't, that. It wouldn't add value to, to add that system no. in there? No. Uh, well, maybe, but the cost would be astronomical. I mean, you're talking about a building built in 1924 that has a brand new brand new boiler. And I'm talking these are huge. So it's a five-story building. you got a picture of the size of this thing. So when, when you get it tested, they come in and they open, like they do whatever witchcraft they do to test a boiler. But we found out a couple of things were wrong with it. Like the first being it didn't have an emergency stop button, which is a code violation. And supposedly they had the the building, the the system installed, and then they they were owed that emergency stop, but it was never done. So yeah, that's part of the due diligence. So we did sewer scope, uh, boiler inspection, roof inspection. We're going to do a couple minor repairs, and then we're going to close on the deal. Wrote in all like the dude has a ton of cool like antique cameras. So there's a there's like an office suite in there that has a conference table, big one that you can share. Like it's shared with the whole building, so you can reserve it, right? And um, and then there's cameras everywhere, like old timey ones, right? Like you know you put the thing over your head and take a picture like it's super cool like mm -hmm. i i'm excited about it it's a historic property in council bluffs which i know well and uh, it's one of the tallest buildings in town so, so. one thing that uh, i definitely would hit on in things that have been in the news lately is the interest rates that are skyrocketing in the news yeah in the news so Tell me how how is that affected buying properties like this? Yeah, no, that's a good question. And, and what kind of rates are you getting? Yep. So when you underwrite a deal, a larger deal, or actually it doesn't matter. When you're underwriting deals right now, if you're getting a commercial loan, your rates are probably going to be just below five. So you're going to get high fours. Um, and it's affecting what your cash flow is, right? So you have to underwrite the deal with a new a different interest rate and probably one where you need to stress test it. So you need to underwrite it like it's being, you know, uh, maybe 50 basis points, which is a half percent or, you know, even more than that, just over the five year period or 10 year period or whatever your, your timeline is for owning it, just to make sure you're able to cash flow because there's additional risk with it. And office in particular is a little more, it's not my wheelhouse. So I'm kind of stepping out of my comfort zone a little bit here. We got partners in this, so it makes it. I do. I do. Really but good. they also don't have experience in it. So yeah. Well, it, it's this is different, but exciting and fun, and it's cool property, and I'm excited about and it. Part of the reason I brought this up is because we had that we wrote an offer on that property we've talked about numerous times that had that dog park, mm -hmm. and then that property opportunity came back again. Yeah, and then you reevaluated it. I did, and and at the same price you wrote it before, it was a two thousand dollars swing. Mm -hmm. to purchase that property at the same price. It was like $2,000 more a month. Yeah, so what Ted's talking about is we we he and I walked through a uh, an apartment complex that had, I think, 31 or 32 units, yep. something like that. And it was a really cool property. I wrote an offer on it, and it I didn't get it. It went under contract. And then fast forward two, three, four weeks, something like that, the listing broker ended up calling Ted back and saying, hey, is your offer still good and or would your buyer be willing to come up because mm -hmm. we had it under contract for full price, which I think was 3.1 million. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm like, yeah, when, well, no is the first answer because when you underwrite a deal, if the interest rate swings up 
50 basis points, 100 basis points, more than that, your cash flow is going to get hammered. So you've got to be really mindful of what your interest rate risk is when you're evaluating a multifamily or or a single family or any other deal, right? Especially you when you get to, in the millions. Yeah. If you, <laughs> when you get in the millions, it gets magnified. I mean, there's definitely a flashlight on your numbers. So uh, be watchful for that, especially in this weird environment we're in with a lot of ebb and flow with interest rates. I think that's great news and and probably a good nugget for a few people. But speaking of nuggets, do you have a good golden nugget for today? So today's golden nugget, I, I wanted to talk about, I, I thought of this when I was walking through a house that we bought recently. We meaning uh, Brandon Tauber, my business partner with Red Ladder, we bought a hoarder house in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and uh, it was filled with everything. We I have now four invoices for 40-yard dumpsters. That uh, that I, I have yet to pay. I I just did that with that la- that last house. Yeah, 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 yeah. So four forty yard dumpsters, and these are big. These are eight feet tall, people. So a lot of stuff. Uh, and now we have a garage full of stuff that may have value. So there's a, a, a motorcycle. There's a there's two like uh, Game of Thrones swords that I happen to. You said you're gonna we take bring ones to the office and we can. Hang I forgot. On the wall. I have it. I still I have both of them at home. The pictures that you posted. On, yeah, is that Instagram you posted that? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah with, with your do- with your daughters holding them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we found a bunch of uh, like kind of cool stuff in there, but it's always like whenever you're walking through a hoarder house and like we went through it the other day and the guy, so the the former owner kind of came back in and he was like taking stuff out and that's totally fine. We're, we're good with it. We had to change the combo on the lockbox like a ton of times because he kept coming back and wanting to look for more stuff. And we're like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And, and we're, you know, kind of trying to get all the trash out and all that because the place, you know, needed, it needed some love. But we come back in there and there's like a peanut butter sandwich that there's like an open jar of peanut butter and somebody made a peanut butter sandwich on this disgusting countertop and like eating it. And, and the, like our, oh. our contractor's like, dude, hey, did one of you guys, eat? he's talking to his guys, he's like, did one of you guys make a peanut butter sandwich? And they're like, what are you talking about? No, of course not. So he had come back. So we had to change the locks again. But like, yeah. Uh, so, so this house is, uh, yeah, is this this is a uh, this is gonna be a good one. Well, future reference, if you're listening to this and you need to get rid of some trash and you might have a lot of breakable stuff on there, call your local smash rooms. Oh yeah, that's and, a good and, call. And yeah. they will come pick up a lot of this stuff that's breakable, and they will come pick it up for you for no charge. All right, so to finish the uh, gold nugget here, so it started making me think. So I we did a walkthrough the, with our the smash room wasn't the gold nugget. Uh, th- that could be a gold nugget. Okay, okay, no, the go gold ahead. nugget inside <laughs> the gold nugget. Um, so. Uh, real quick, so gold nuggets. When you're walking through a property, here's what uh, some things to look for. Door stops. I always forget these. Always, always, always forget them. And whenever I'm walking through on the very final punch list walkthrough, I notice there's no door stops. In multiple rooms, just buy some. Give them to your contractors. Make that part of your scope of work. Door stops, CO, and smoke detectors are always, always, always overlooked. Also, make sure you look up your local codes wherever you're listening to this. And uh, make sure you have adequate smoke detector and carbon monoxide detectors in your property. Um, Touch-up paint, I think that's a no-brainer. You walk through, you're going to see everything. Here's a here's a really uh, a quick tip. Every painter that you hire knows exactly where the drips are and the missed spots. I don't care what they tell you. They know exactly where they are. And if they're not fixing them, they're lazy. So you may consider the quality of your painter when you're going down to the blue tape phase. Outlets. I have habitually overlooked GFCI, ground fault, uh, something, interrupter. I don't know. I'm not an electrician. 
So there, <laughs> make sure in your wet areas, the kitchens and the bathrooms, that they have GFCI protection on the outlets. And uh, overhead lighting in houses that are built in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and even 80s, a lot of times don't have overhead lighting in the dining area and the living room. I don't know why. This has always puzzled me. A lot of times you're going to have an outlet that protects, or excuse me, an outlet that is you can plug a floor lamp into, but it doesn't have anything overhead. So make sure you look at that and think, okay, is somebody that's going to buy this house going to want overhead lighting? The answer is probably going to be yes. A um, couple other things. Where is the TV going to go? So stand in the living room and figure out where's the couch, where's the TV. Make sure there's adequate uh, plugins and lighting in order for that to be a functional living space. Sewer scope. You're going to call a local drain inspector or, or plumbing company, and odds are they're going to be able to do a camera scope. So if you have an older home, it's probably a good idea to do a sewer scope. And a lot of times they can record that. So the camera itself will have a, uh, or excuse me, the, uh, the sewer scope itself will have a camera on it and you can record the actual, um, entry of the camera out to the street and then figure out if there's any breaks, you know, tree roots, anything like that, that's going to cause a problem, uh, and be a big ticket item. Uh, another couple tips, roof inspection, always get a, a good idea to have somebody over there. If you're going to call it roof, company, a roofing uh, replacement company, ask them, Hey, what would you charge me to go out and inspect a roof? And sometimes they may say, don't worry about it. I'll just go look at it. Or they may say, you know what? A hundred bucks, they'll go out, give you a write up on it. And then you can provide that to the seller and you might be able to get a roofing credit for any repairs that are needed. Uh, a couple other things, galvanized plumbing, always look for this stuff. Oh my God. It's come back to bite me so many times. Test the water pressure. Anytime you walk inside a house, turn on the kitchen sink, the bathroom sink, the, um, all the bathroom faucets, basically make sure you got adequate water flow because guess what? Whoever buys or rents that house is going to complain about it if it's not adequate. And if you have galvanized plumbing, probably you're dealing with, uh, 20, 30, 40 years worth of buildup and corrosion in inside the, uh, galvanized steel. And it's likely going to need replaced with copper. So make sure you watch out for those. And another last thing, stab lock federal panels are uninsurable for the most part, as well as square D, which is something I just learned recently in a lot of uh, commercial properties, square D is a manufacturer. They're actually still a manufacturer. So it's not like federal and hopefully I don't get sued because of this, but, um, stab block federal panels are uh, part of a class action lawsuit, um, years ago, and they are uninsurable for the most part. Square D, you can still get policies on. You got to shop a little bit more for them. And they've obviously improved their products since then. Thank you, Square D. Um, and to, that is today's golden nugget. So so I, I just want to ask you something, Owen, right? Yeah, um, fire away. So you have so much years of experience doing this. So you kind of have like a mental checklist, right? Yep. So if a newbie like me, do, do you recommend like I actually have a clipboard with a checklist. Uh, like yes, absolutely. Out. Yes. If you, if you don't know all this cold, and obviously I just mentioned that I overlook things still when I'm doing walkthroughs, I miss, you know, oh yeah, there's door stops that are missing. There's, you know, CO detectors, all those things. Absolutely. You should create a checklist and maybe that's something we can offer our listeners. Yeah. All I will, um, <laughs> at some point <laughs> create a checklist that uh, maybe can be a walkthrough, you know, like punch list item, item yeah. list. 
uh, that might be helpful. Oh yeah, because there's oh, stuff yeah. on there that I'm probably missing, and people can add add info to. But yes, absolutely, I would do that. Or Denless, you could take somebody that has some experience and walk through with you, yeah. and you could offer them, you know, maybe it, like. If you have a, a friend that's in the business, like I could probably walk through it with, you know, whatever you need uh, on that. But if you don't have that, maybe offer a successful investor locally some money and just say, hey, I know you're busy. Could I pay you a hundred bucks to do a quick walkthrough with me and make sure I'm not missing anything? Yeah. I yeah. would do that. Yeah. But see, not Ted had to run out because, you know, he has some um, family things. Would you like to take us into the episode? I can't wait. All right. Here we go. Hey, we're proud to have Chase here in today. We've been trying to get Chase in for a while, uh, as discussed. This has been a long-time conversation, but we finally sat down at the coffee shop, and we and we, and we were like, hey, we got to get this done, right? Yes, sir. So, hey, one question I always like to start off the podcast before Owen takes over <laughs> is, uh, what was like the first moment that you can recall that you said to yourself, Real estate is something I want to do. Uh, or what was the thing that piqued your interest? Was it a TV show? Was it a book? Was it something in your family? So like in my family, there was no real estate investing history. Um, about six months into working my corporate job after graduating college, I was just in a spot that I'm like, this is not for me. What was that corporate job? Uh, working as a design engineer for Cleaver Brooks, a uh, mechanical engineer by degree. Really? Okay. Yep. So I was sitting at this desk all day working directly with salespeople and saw them going to lunch. I was seeing their commissions and I'm like, well, sales must be an option too. And then real estate popped up and I'm like, hey, this could be an option. But then like six years later is finally when I took that action. Six years later, Chase, you look like you're 21, buddy. <laughs> Thank he's, you. He's like, I worked in this job out of college, and I got really burned out after six months. <laughs> like, what? Wow, it took me 20 years. But So, so here's a funny story. is I, I, I mentioned the age thing because I truly thought you were like 21. I thought you were one of those just young entrepreneurs just killing it. How old are you? I just turned 30 on May. Oh, no kidding. Yep. Okay. So, because, I mean, you do, you have so much going on as we, as we preluded to into coming into this. And I, um, but when I, when we finally sat down and talked, I'm like, I'm like, married for five years. You got this company, this company, this company. You're doing what? And I was like, and then, and then, uh, I'm like, oh, you're not 21. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's that's just a good, that's a, that's a good, so fast. it's a good bad problem to have. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of like you're getting catfished when you're going to interview someone. Like I've, I, in my job as a recruiter for years and years, I'd get somebody's resume and I'd be like, wow, they've done a lot of stuff. And then you, <laughs> you, you enter, they walk in and you're like, oh my God, did you just get out of daycare? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's uh, so you're, you're what I'm looking at right now with notes from our, you know, your background, it does not reconcile with all this. So, uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You, the baby faced chase collier that, that's why that's why Catherine loves him so much that's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> so again i'm sorry to me cut off a story T tell us a little bit more about this you're good yeah like i transitioned pretty quickly out of a desk job into sales and then like i i honestly never kept a job more than six to eight months after that because i'd i'd learn it i'd get good at it and realize there's a cap and then i moved to the next one mm -hmm. and finally i got to the point that i'm like i i I'm personally unemployable, need to do something for myself. So then went and got my real estate license, and it's just been history from there. It's only been two years, but it's been a fast, fast process. Well, it's people like you know us in this room that, that 
I think we all have work jobs and we always exceeding or trying to exceed and we always want to know what the next thing, the next level, because it's like a high for us. Yep. And that's probably why the real estate investing has, has been our niche because adding more properties, building a portfolio, uh, taking next steps with getting different properties, starting different ancillary businesses like you guys have. I mean, it, it just kind of keeps on filling that void up, right? Yeah, 100%. Like there, there is no ceiling on what you can do. At some point, you have to start adding more people. But like in a corporate job, they tell you, they tell you there's no ceiling, but you know there is. And with real estate, there honestly is no ceiling. You can do what you want and create as much as you can. The frustrating thing about corporate jobs, like if you if you work in uh, you know an engineering firm or you work work in corporate America somehow, and you have a, like kind of a white collar gig, is you know there's. I was thinking the other day about David Green and a Bigger Pockets podcast. He talked. He's talked several episodes about the book. So good they can't ignore you. And I think that applies to not just, you know, entrepreneurs, but also corporate people. And that's, that's the whole point of it is become so good at your job that you can't be ignored and you're going to rise through the ranks if that's what your goals are. But I think the frustration becomes a lot of times it doesn't move fast enough. If you're in, you know, if you have that entrepreneurial mindset where you're like, I want to make stuff happen. And you're like, okay, this is a year. Can't wait for my annual review. And maybe I'll get a 7% increase in my pay this year. It's like, here you go. Good job, buddy. And then, you know, back to back to the grindstone. But I think that gets old after a while and you kind of see like caps and you're like, oh, sorry, you're, you know, you're graded out on the, on the salary cap. When I worked for IBM and they, they, the division I worked in eventually got acquired by Rico. I got moved over to the Rico Americas uh, recruiting team and my uh, director, was making less money than me because the salary grades didn't match up. So that was super weird. And I, I stayed in that role for about three years and I was capped because I had a red circle around me in the org chart because I was making more than you could make in that technically. So I was kind of an outlier and I couldn't get any additional income. And that's super frustrating because it's like it's a little demoralizing when you're like, okay, I'm going to hit all my goals and you get an attaboy. Yo. You know what I mean? That's it. Yeah, they're they're good at giving that, good at giving little spiffs to keep you keep you there. But like, if you're someone who wants to work sixty plus hours a week, do you want to do it for yourself, or what's that company gonna do above your forty hours you're getting paid to do? So, how long did you work at your last job before you dove into getting uh, you know involved in real estate? How long were you there? The, uh, a long, lengthy eight months. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, I think it, I started that job in February or March of 2020 and put in my two weeks in October. And that was October of 2020. And it's been full time real estate since then. All right. I want you to, if you could, maybe describe what your life situation was at the time. Were you comfortable? And you're like, you know what? This feels like a good time. I'm going to make the jump. I got a bunch of money in the bank. How did that look for you and your like? you know, personal situation. And was it scary? Like that, maybe dig into the whole like, um, you know, mindset and what was going through your mind at the time and how you were set up for the benefit of other people that might be in a similar situation. They're looking to get out and they don't know how. Yeah. So that was a very, I would say, unique situation for me because my wife and I still own the sports bar that we owned at that point. And 2020 is COVID. It was fall after COVID happened got my real estate license, and I got to the point that real estate was producing close to half of what my corporate income was. 
And I'm like, I wonder what could happen if I put all my eggs in this basket. But with owning a restaurant that was going through COVID, like there was a lot of stress on our lives. But having no kids and just wanting to dump everything I had into that, like it was kind of a ride or die type thing. And my wife. Ride or die. (laughs) Yeah. And my wife was completely supportive. She's like, I know what you can do. Now go do it. Now, did she have a, a career as well? So my wife moved to St. Louis at 17 and learned how to train service dogs, did narcotic detection, personal protection for dog training. Now, how many of those dogs that you have of your four currently are service dogs? None of them are service dogs. Okay. So no killers in the house. No, they're they're all small, four to six pound little fluffy dogs. (laughs) (laughs) They've won some ribbons and dog shows, but none of them are, are like... Angry dogs. No angry dogs. Little ankle no. biters. Yep. Got it. <laughs> okay. So uh, I was trying to follow along what you were saying, and then I kept getting tripped up on the fact that you just throw in there as an afterthought that you owned a bar. Yes. And you're you're 30 years old right now, so this is two years, three years ago. When did you buy the bar? Bought the bar in 18. Okay, 18. He talks about it like it was, you know, two, <laughs> like like 1918. Yeah, but like, oh, way back in 18. <laughs> it's like, okay, so, so had, all the way back to four years ago. So you had a year and a half of good business. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we bought the bar May of 18. That was our first investment. And at that point, I told my wife, we're either getting into real estate or we're buying a business. And while I picked the wrong one, <laughs> it, it was three years of learning, to say the least. But, like, that was just a... Great learning opportunity, but it was not what we wanted to do. Too many hours, so much work, so much stress. And that, to me, kind of shifted my mindset towards real estate of it's really not that hard. People worry about getting into their first deal and the risk involved. And I'm like, well, you've never owned a business where the overhead is X of, let's just say, $30,000 a month is your overhead. Well, what happens when you have a bad week? Well, in real estate, if you miss your mark by 10%, you're still making good money. Mm-hmm. So, Or like, the friendly neighborhood pandemic knocks on your door and says, hey, by the way, you can't open for six months or whatever. Right? Yeah. Or everybody has to wear a mask and they get mad. Yeah. So were you just sitting in the bar and like with your wife and you're like, God, this place is great. We should buy it. And then you slide a napkin over to the bartender and you're like, Psst, pass this on. Psst. This is a purchase <laughs> agreement. Ignore the napkin it's written on. How did that even work? Like, why <laughs> did you bartend? No. So that, what the that's hell? one of the funniest things about it is my wife and I don't have like food service experience. I worked at Dairy Queen when I was in high school and that's about it. Um, but we found this business for sale. Cash flow looked good. About 20 employees, good part of town. And we're like, hey, this could be a good idea. What we didn't realize is the time input that needs to go into it. But um you're, you're, hey, by the way, you're being interviewed right now by two veteran bartenders. Yep. yep. So uh, I was in the bar industry for 10 to 12 years. I did it as a like, side deal for 10 years also. Yeah. So I worked at like four different places. Even the <laughs> casino, I worked there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So no background in that. That's, that's interesting. So when you bought the place, were the you know employees that worked there were like, Okay, so you own this, and you look like you're, you know, 16 years old. Yep. And uh, what what was that like? Did you was it hard to get respect of people? And they're like, you don't even understand what we do. Yeah, it, it was definitely a culture shock, both for the employees and the customers, the vendors. 
because uh, we we had to correct that real quick that some people thought we were trust fund kids to be honest mm-hmm. and and I'm just being fully transparent but like um, my wife and I worked for everything we had and we're like this is what we want to do our parents weren't in it no other investors and we're just like this is what we want to do and it took a while to get that respect but being there day in and day out flipping burgers making drinks cleaning like we showed them by just sweat equity that this is us okay ta- uh, all right i want to i want to peel go can, ahead can Ted. i say let me say one thing here i i have to be completely transparent that i thought the same thing because we sat down in, in a meeting right yep. and i'm like i'm like okay give me the backstory like how how the heck did you start all these companies and you got all this going on you're so young and I was just, I mean, and I made a, was it, was it the acronym for assume? We'll just leave that be. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I looked terrible in that aspect because I'm like, I'm like, there's no, I mean, how did you do this so quick? I just assumed that you, that you had family background that was in the industry and, and helped get you going. So, um, and I, and I remember I was like, I was like, I apologize for having that mindset. And I'm glad I sat down with you at that point to set the straight and, um, just so much more, like my, my respect level, like, you know, tripled for what you've done yeah. in such a short period of time. Just so you know, I, I greatly so, appreciate that. Yeah. But it's hard to admit that saying that by the way, that, that I, that I thought that I thought like that, but anyway, go, well, go no, it, I, so, okay. I want to, I want to find out like, how do you buy a bar when you don't have any background in it? You, you're, you probably don't have like a ton of cash, right? I mean, you, you, you haven't worked long enough. Yeah. I mean, it's nothing against you. Bit, it's just yeah. like you have some, I mean, but right. So, how did that work? Did you get owner financing? Tell us, peel back the curtain here. Yeah. So just, just starting from when I was what, five years old, I don't even know back then, but my, my parents, my friends, my family will all tell you I'm the most frugal person you know. So I started detasseling when I was 13 years old, did that for five summers, then worked in high school, worked all through college full time. You say detasseling? Detasseling yeah. corn. Detasseling. Oh, that's what I thought it meant. That was I, I've done that. I, I did that job. So shucking corn kind of? Yep. Pulling the tassel right to, off of the corn. You have, you have to pull the tassels off so they don't pollinate and uh, and keep you know spreading. My my first summer doing that, I was 13 making five seventy five an hour and thought I was king working 50 hours a week. Bought an iPod mini with that money. Baller. Hey, yeah. Nice. So have it to this day? Don't know that. <laughs> Might be in a box somewhere. <laughs> um, but just super frugal. Like my... I. Bless my wife. She's so okay and happy with the way that I work money. She trusts me with finances and just save every penny. I made a budget. Like even in college, I was making a budget. And so we we had some saved away. But the for the bar, um, right around a half million dollar purchase, there was about 20% seller financing. We brought about 15%, 10-15% to the table and got an SBA loan for the rest of it. Um, had to jump through a lot of hoops. Some banks told us no because we had no history, and it was just one of those challenges we had to get through. And like being an engineer, I don't have that personality, but my mindset is there, and that was a problem. So I needed to find a solution for it, and that's what I do. SBA loan. So I had a conversation actually last week uh, about buying a business and an SBA loan that, that didn't have real estate involved necessarily, because that's typically you're going to get better financing terms when you buy a 
property versus a business. Yep. Maybe talk about what are what's a typical SBA loan look like? What's the what's the term of the repayment? Like it's way shorter, right, than a typical twenty or thirty year note. Yep. I I think ours was a ten year SBA loan. It was around market value, so I think five and a quarter percent at the time. And this was back in 2018, Mm -hmm. but we also had to pay two points up front to get the loan with a lot of other appraisal work and documents that the SBA needed. There, there was just so many hoops to jump through and our place had no real estate with it. So it was blue sky, which was one of the hardest parts to get past. Huh? Yeah. So a 10 year repayment period, that's a lot of, that's debt service. I mean, you're, you got to pay a lot. Yeah. So your bar better be doing well. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Interesting. So how do you you survive during the pandemic with those type of numbers that you got to be paying that? I mean, because the payment's not small. No. um, Just a lot of, again, saving, budgeting. Like when we had the good times for that first year and a half, we were saving everything that we didn't need to put back into the business. That way, when the COVID did happen, we were okay, but we also got the PPP loans like most mm-hmm. other places did, which helped out a lot, but it was still still a difficult time. Like I was so stressed and my wife was stressed. She was the day-to-day person managing the people and working with the vendors, so it was not not a happy time, but we made it through. Now, do you guys still own that bar? No, we sold it uh, April of 21. Okay. Did you do okay on it? We we sold it for close to half of what we bought it for. Ow, but owie. But I mean the PPP. I mean we. I don't want to say we lost our butts on it, but it could have been a lot better if COVID didn't happen. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. I. Ha- you probably would never even sold it if, if COVID didn't happen, huh? W- we would have. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> At some point there. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like dog ears when you own a bar. I mean, because. I yes. mean, if you're active and you pay a lot of attention to it, you have to go late at night. You, if your cooks didn't show up for whatever reason, they just don't. You got to go in and you know figure that out. And and staffing issues all the time. I have a buddy of mine that owns five bars, and he's always like, "Oh yeah, I was up at four this morning and on food prep and all that." Our cook, our cook just bailed or he got hauled off to prison. <laughs> I mean, you just don't know, yeah. right? It's like every day's an adventure. Yeah, each day is a new day. People could not show up. People could quit equipment could stop working yeah uh, food might not come in have to run to the grocery store instead um and ev- everything's a challenge there but i mean it was fun um kind of showed me that i can put that effort into something mm-hmm. and just how to pivot and redirect it all right so you you ended up getting your license uh what two years ago so 2020 yep and so you got that while you still owned the bar, but you had plans on selling it. Is that I'm just trying to kind of like piece this together. Yeah. So we we originally like six to twelve months into it realized this is not for us, and and we were trying to figure out what we can do for an exit strategy, and we're putting together some options, and then COVID hit, so we couldn't just go out and sell a bar on day one of COVID. So <laughs> right <laughs> when when stuff started kind of normalizing is when we found the buyer that has it now. Um, but we would have sold it before COVID if we could have just wasn't the right fit for us. Yeah. All right. So you got your license. Now, yeah. did you start out with a, a you you got a, a salesperson license or a broker's license right off the bat? Salesperson. But okay. Working on brokers now. Got it. And were you 
going into the whole real estate realm, were you thinking like, I'm just going to sell? Did you have any aspiration or, or were you like, I'm going to get my license, but also my real passion is going to be like, I want to buy stuff. Yeah. The passion for the long-term play was always there. For me, it was kind of the barrier of entry seemed easier for a salesperson than the other options out there, wholesaling, flipping, buying rentals, mm-hmm. just salesperson license seemed like the easiest path there to start getting capital to then invest in other pieces. Maybe talk us through the first six months of, uh, of getting your license and transitioning into that world. Yeah, so luckily I had a couple mentors at the time that were kind of in the wholesale flipping space. So I had good people behind me teaching me things outside of how to be a good agent. Being in sales for six years, like I learned a lot of that doing sales, but it wasn't real estate focused. So just had to learn some new things. Uh, relationships, relatability is something I, I love and I'm good at. So it came kind of natural to me. And just the freedom to do what I want when I want, but also working nonstop all day, every day Mm -hmm. is is one thing that I love to do. But kind of getting into the the buying and selling of properties, let me see what people are looking for and then kind of mixed in some investing side of that and just took off. Now, you're located in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yes. So... You did you grow up there? Went to school there? Where did where did you yep. get your degree from? Uh, UNL. UNL. Okay, yep. so University of Nebraska Lincoln. Uh, corn, go Corn Huskers. You, yeah, you're from Iowa, buddy. Oh, I know. I'm a Husker fan. Are you? Yeah. Okay, that's kind of surprising. Uh-huh. And, and you are not. You just you just preluded. No, to. I'm a Husker fan. Okay. It's just the last to yeah, couple of years. Yeah, been rough. Decade. That's yeah. decade, couple decades. <laughs> um, okay, I, I tell you what. What's what is in the water in Lincoln? Because we've been getting some really good uh, podcast uh, interviews out of Lincoln. I don't know. There's some. There's some ballers there. Yeah, I mean, we need more. We Josh need get, Nix, yep. Megan Ahern, you. I feel like there's somebody else. Shampoo. Dave Bader, Steve Shampoo, Andrea Shampoo, Andrea Shampoo. Now Trail. Yeah, Now Trail. <laughs> um, okay, so you got your license. How long was it before after? How long was it after you got your license that you bought your first investment property, and what was it? About six, seven months after that, uh, bought first flip. So, okay. in that story, like I, I, I love partnerships, I love relationships, and I found a real estate investor who was doing doing some flips, um, kind of slowly. And I'm like, hey, let's systematize this. What what can we do if I throw you a down payment or something? And just created a partnership there where he was working on the flips. I was funding them, and we got to the point that we were having one, two or three going at a time, and started on the flip side, and then kind of slowly transitioned into the rentals. What were rentals always the goal? And you viewed flipping as a way to increase your cash that you could buy more rentals, or why? Why start with flips? I guess is the question. Yeah. Multiple streams of income is is what it boils down to, but with the real estate income from being an agent plus the flip income, it just helped accelerate the rental side of things. And even now, not everything we buy we keep because we still want that active piece. Now, you say we. Are you still doing deals with this person? A different partner now. Okay. Um, I, I work with a couple different people. Um, and, and Lincoln, and then I have the hard money lending that we have a 12 plex with that group, but I, I don't mind having different partnerships. And I make that transparent to my partners that 
where I'm going to do things with multiple people and leave it open for them as well. But kind of have a different different partner now that we're scaling some things up. And it's just been crazy the last couple months with where that's leading. Okay. Uh, so maybe talk about your first partnership with this flipper. And you provided the capital. They did the work. Yep. Did you have to go over there and manage contractors? Like, how did the how, what was the split and how organized were you on the front end in your very first partnership? Yep. So the the split that we had was that I put up the full down payment and rehab cost, whatever the the budget was, and I don't remember numbers on that flip, but I I did that. His his duties were to manage it, GC it, take care of everything. So I saw it the day we bought it, and I saw it the day we listed it. But I didn't go in any time in between other than I think we switched out switches, outlets, fixtures one Saturday afternoon. And that's okay. the most work I put into the property. Now, did you form an LLC with that person? Yes. Okay. So you you knew enough to, to know that. Correct. Right? So yep. you, so you kind of divvied up basically like, here's my money. I don't want to hear from you except I will change some switches. <laughs> and then yep. so how many of those did you do together? Did about six or seven of them. Okay. What? Anything go wrong? No. Or why, why aren't you working with that person anymore? Don't want to say it, nothing went wrong. There was one time we went out of town on a vacation, and the painter that we hired should have been done in about 10, 15 days. Three, or yeah, that's a, days. that's a long runway for paint. Yeah. 30 days later, paint still wasn't done. Okay. Ended up firing him, losing three, four grand, hiring another painter who was our original painter who was booked up at the time <laughs> when we should have just waited the two, three weeks for him to get free. Lesson learned. Um, but just just had different goals, and that's kind of why we're not working together anymore. It, it's To me, it's all about goal alignment, and I know things can change as people develop. Their goals always change long term. And who I'm with now, like for partnering on flips and rental properties, we're very aligned, very strategic and love the direction we're going. But values are another thing that really plays into it. Let's let's peel this back a little bit. Uh, Ted and I talk about partnerships all the time. And um, I know you've had some scar tissue from past, you know, ones that didn't work out well. Right. And I know partnerships are important for growth and I'm not against partnerships. Mm-hmm. I, yep. I, I, I have partnerships in, in a business right now. But as far as like jumping into an investment property, I just haven't been able to make that that transition yet or find the right deal or the right partner to, to do it with. Yeah. What? Okay. I, so what, I got a lot to learn still. No, you, but you mentioned, uh, <laughs> making sure your, your values are aligned and you have a lot of the same goals. Yes. How do you do that? What, what, and how long does it take? Like, what's the dating period with somebody before you're like, you know what? Yeah. I, I'm going to take you home tonight. <laughs> yeah, but that's really funny that you brought that up. Cause that's how I see things too, is it's 100% courting a partner. Like you're going out to dates, you're getting coffee, you're getting, lunch, dinner. Well, that's the way you're supposed to do it. I mean, one's a one-nighter, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. a partner whore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Just kidding. But part of it is seeing the process, procedures, systems that they have in place as well. And and as you develop and get that experience, I think the bar and the needle moves a little bit of what you're looking for, what, what red flags there could be. Because um, one of my beliefs is if there's a red flag in the first couple of dates, there's going to be more red flags down the road. So it's just easier to cut 
cut ties in the beginning and move on to the next person. And and I don't want to sound like I'm a partner whore either, but there is a kind of dating phase to that. Yeah. Um, but goals, goals and value alignment is so important because I think you can get past most hurdles if those are in, in sight. What about like, what skill sets do you guys individually look for in partners? Like, um, like myself, uh, I need somebody that's really analytical as a partner. Yep. Uh, I, I can do numbers. I don't like doing numbers. So if I'm, if my partner needs to be, and you know, Jerry is my partner on, on the, on the real estate side of the business. So I, I, and she's very analytical. So that offsets my, my, my weakness. What's the weakness that you guys have that you have found in that your partners that kind of offset that? Yeah. So personally, I, I don't like building things from the ground up. So I like finding people that have started something and need help either on efficiencies or efficiencies, systems, analytical money and solve that problem for them and kind of add my value there. Mm -hmm. But I'm also very much relationship focused and I'm good at connecting the dots between multiple people. And there's some people who just see what's in their tunnel vision. And if I can bring something that helps add to that, then there's just so much value to be added there. Okay. Owen. Hmm. This is a good, no, like what, th- this what, is what, really good. Like what's, and, and what's Brandon a, bring you? So Brandon, Brandon does a lot of things that I am not interested in doing. And he is, he likes doing them. He, he likes operations. He likes going into the office every day and making sure all the bills are paid. And he's very, he, holds me accountable to things that I kind of like want to ignore, <laughs> mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. Like, hey, where are we at on this? And he'll like have, you know, three or four things or whatever. And I'll be like, yeah, we need, you know, here's where we're, what we need to do. So he holds me. It's mutual accountability is one. Yep. Brandon, uh, when we first started talking, we had, God, I don't know how many times we had lunch and talked on the phone. And uh, we did a ton. <laughs> that was st- <laughs> He just casually <laughs> slugging a five-hour energy over here. That was caffeine. Yeah, just staring intently in my eyes while he's chugging a five-hour energy. <laughs> it's kind of weird. So, no, Brandon does a lot. Like, he's very, um, I would say he's organized better than I am. He is a taskmaster. So, if something needs to be done, he's always on top. It bothers him when things fall, like, through the cracks. So he's very good at staying on top of stuff while I'm like doing podcasts and going out and meeting with people and like, you know, trying to make deals happen. So you, you bring the marketing, the social, the, the, yeah, I think so. You bring the face of the company. I, I mean, for lack of a better term, that's fair to say. I mean, every, every partner should need, needs a face. And, and Brandon in, in our business. So he's not, if you were like, Hey, guess what? In 30 minutes, you were going to, um, you know, you're going to be on a stage and in, in front of a thousand people, he would probably go out and buy a bullet and rent a gun. Cause like, <laughs> I think he's more afraid of that than maybe dying. I don't know, but I know he's not a super fan of being in the limelight. And we, and we would be like, okay, so what do we got to hear? Yeah. I mean, it's like, all right, oh, what are we talking about? You know? And, and so we have different strengths and he's much better at, I would say like task oriented things and operations. And he likes doing research and, these are all things that you have to do as an investor. If you're going solo, you have to do a lot of jobs that you don't like, or yep. maybe you can do, but they're painful. And you just like, you're like, Oh my God, somebody please take this away from me. Right. So he, I, I, I would say that I finally made the decision to, you know, 
partner with Brandon or we made the mutual decision to after we were like, you know what? You're a good dude. You know, like you have a lot of family values. You have a lot of the same goals that I have. And I think, and maybe this is, I don't know, getting too deep into this topic, but I think it's, it's something where if you feel like someone is super aggressive and pursuing a partnership with you, but you don't know them very well, that's very off-putting. Yes. Would you agree yep. with that? I mean, like we don't know each other. Like, let's just hang out. And I don't like, I don't want to feel like you want something from me. And that's the only reason you're, you're hanging out with me. Yep. You know what I mean? I don't know. I, it's an intangible, but I like you, you have to want to be around the people that you're going to be in bed with, you know, professionally. Yep. Like, and one of the things that I think is so at least wrong in today's world is that they say, don't do business with your friends. And, and like, I'm kind of personally taken back by that because you want to be able to take your families out and go get drinks together, go out with the people that you're doing business with, because that's why you're doing business together is for the freedom. Like, why don't you want to have that relationship? But then you have the wife that says, don't talk business around any around when we're going out. <laughs> yeah. And that's like the only, that's the common ground. Oh. oh my gosh. My wife is like, I don't want any business talk when we go on these dates or whatever, hanging out with certain people. Well, I think the message here is though, just like part partner with people you like, you, you just like in general, yeah. right? You don't want to be like, okay, hey, I know I don't, you're kind of a nerd and not you personally, but uh, you're, oh, you're, you're, uh, you're maybe an engineer or an accountant or whatever, not to stereotype, but uh, we don't like, like a lot of the same things, but let's just do business together because you found a deal. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't, there's people maybe that have done well with that, but there's so many unexplored things about that whole scenario that may backfire on you. And you may, may have to unwind something that's super uncomfortable. Well, I tell you what, personally, I've only uh, probably told two or three people ever that I would do a deal with them. Yeah. Like, you know, cause like, and then, and then it's like casual conversations. I told you once, I'm like, Hey, you know, if there's something that we want to work on together, I'd do it with you. But I just don't. Well, how many hours have we spent together on these podcasts? (laughs) I mean, we kind of know each other fairly well by now. But I don't take that lightly, though, either. I I don't want to just partner with somebody. Plus, I don't want them to, you know, what if they end up being a POS and bring my, my image down? Because... You know, I, I find that's a big deal. You know, I, I, I value how people look at me. And there's people that I've seen in our networking groups that have just done people wrong and they're blacklisted. Mm-hmm. And the people around them are also scarred because of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think part of it comes back to the recruiting that you've done, Owen, because like when you're trying to find business partners, you know what your A's and A pluses are for skills. And you're trying to find other people's that their A's and A pluses are what your C's and D's are. So you can work together and just help each other. But even if on paper your partner, if you start a partnership in numbers, you're still going to make close to the same working with somebody else as solo. I think just having better skills in those areas is going to increase your your revenue no matter what. Yeah. And I, so I'm, th- I'm personally thinking back. So Brandon, uh, my red ladder. So red ladder is, uh, uh, we buy and sell houses. Basically that's our business. And then we, we keep some as rentals. So we have red ladder rentals, but Brandon and I are partnered on that. And I'm thinking back, like we've been partners for, I think four and a half years now, and we've bought hundreds of properties together. And I can't think of one. I mean, we've had some maybe strong opinions about things that we should do with a project or a deal or not do a deal, but we haven't really argued a ton. I mean, you know, 
I think we work well together. And um, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I've heard horror stories from people about partners that like – and I think that here, here's – okay, touching on the friend thing. Yep. So I think there might be a difference between – and correct – tell me your opinion on this, but friends that you maybe grew up with. Or you've known a long time and you're like, oh, you know, I really like them. We have a lot of shared experiences together. We have this bond. And then maybe the inclination is, hey, we should take this a step further and maybe form a partnership and whatever. And I'll just overlook the fact that you are lazy or you don't know how to do this or you're super unprofessional. And I'm like cringe every time we're around a crowd. Right. You know what I mean? They may they may say the wrong thing or whatever. You're overlooking because you're they're your bro. Or you're, you know, really close friend. And then you go into business together and it all falls apart because you just gloss over a lot of the shortcomings to the other person. Whereas I think if you get to know people professionally first and then actually like them and then you spend time with them. Yes. And then you develop a friendship more with more depth out of the professional relationship. I think those are the good ones to get into business with because you get to know their their reputation for the type of work that they're doing first before you meet them right because i mean you're, you're gonna have a reputation regardless and then you start getting to know them better and you're like you know what i like this person actually they're good at their job and also i could see myself doing business with and then you start exploring like personal stuff and family values and you know goals and things like that i think those may be the ones that are the best partnerships Yep. how well, many how many active partnerships do you guys both have like in 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 with investment properties like with different groups of people I'm thinking, I know the silence is awkward for the listeners. Maybe play some Jeopardy music here, Dennis. Okay, so I'm thinking of like, I have two deals, three deals, four deals, Five. Um, other than the ones that I own with Brandon, I would say I have five partnerships. Well, Brandon would be one, so it'd be six. Yeah, six. I would say yeah. six, six or seven. I'm, I may be forgetting some, that's but a, I mean that's quite a few. Yeah. And would you say they're all exactly what you expected? Um, I don't know if I would say exactly as expected, but I'm happy with what's going on with with how things are okay. on, in all of them. And then, uh, and then with your partnerships, and we'll get the chase here in a second. Did you have a lawyer draw up a contract and do yes and and then in those contracts do you guys have terms set up if somebody wants out yeah so buy sell agreement yeah okay. we have we have those in place so what's the what's the terms look like in in there to get out like let's say that you you know what things just aren't amazing or maybe you just you have to you have to get out of that property is it something where the, each party has a buyout option? Yeah, there's a first right of refusal basically on the part in the partnership. So you is it the person that finds the property has first right of refusal, or that either party has first right? Of refusal? Well, it depends on how many partners there are. Yeah. You know, you could have four partners in a deal, and then you're the one that wants out, and then that becomes a little more complicated. So then you have to figure out how are you going to buy that person out, and what is the value of the property? So you have to figure that out, and you are, say, okay, let's get an appraisal on it. That's the fair market value of it, and in order to buy out person number four, the other three have to come up with additional capital in order to take that position out. And those terms are all written in your Yes. Notes. Okay. They're all written out. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever had to enact one of those? Never yet. Okay. But I, you know, it hasn't it's not like I've been doing this for with partners for 20 years. This is within the last five years. I've been all my partnerships. Okay. So 
I don't know if this will age well, but um, yeah, so far so good. And we've never had to exit a deal. What about you, Chase? Um, four is where I'm at. Yeah. Um, two of them are very active, which is more of my day-to-day type stuff. And then the other ones are more <clears throat> longer term. One of them is that beach club in, in Florida that I'm a part of. And that's one that I don't know all of the partners on just from how the deal came together. You don't even know. No. <laughs> they digging that one next. Yeah. Um, but like for me, the partnerships kind of like Owen said, it it's relationships more that developed over time than friends from five, 10 years ago. Um, cause I, I personally think, and this is just part of my mindset is the friends and family that you've known for 10, 20 plus years, they know you for who you were 10 years ago, 15 years ago when you were in high school or college. And like when I go to family functions, it's not, Oh, how's real estate going? It's you're an engineer. Why are you in real estate? Yeah. Where people I meet now are like, Oh, you're in real estate. I didn't know you were an engineer. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's funny. You say that it's like, you have to reassemble your past for people that you meet professionally and they, you know, kind of like form the backstory. Whereas people that you've known your whole life, they know that part of it, but not like your maybe explosive growth or mindset change. And you've like become a different way, different person than you were when you were a kid. Or maybe when you, whenever you knew them, yeah, it's it's so funny, yeah, because there's like they know that person and and the other the other people that you meet professionally know a different person, yeah, yeah. Okay, Chase, you, we can't just glance over this. You mentioned Beach Club, yeah, and I'm and I'm thinking like uh, I'm thinking Beach Boys, I'm thinking Beach, I'm thinking you know you know the 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 band Beach Boys. Don't get too excited there. No, I'm frowning <laughs> because he probably has no idea what you're talking about. He's, He's heard the Beach Boys. I know the Beach Boys. All right. Okay. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking volleyball nets. I'm I'm thinking you have probably like 10, 20 units. It's on the it's on the bay. Tell us the story here. Yeah. So the this beach club in St. Augustine. Like I I didn't know what a beach club was because we're from Nebraska, but it's essentially like a country club, but on the beach in St. Augustine. So there's pools, there's tennis courts. Pools. Yes. Is this a, it's a full out resort? Yes. How many the, units? There, there's no condos with it. There's condos on the side of it that okay. pay to be part of the beach club. Um, but there's six vacant beachfront lots that came with it and 2.6 acres across the street of undeveloped land. That's unheard of, right? Yes. Wow. What did you get this for? Uh, $12 million was purchase price. And you said a lot of partners. Yeah, so it's part of a syndicate group called okay. Inside Investors Club, which I paid pay an annual fee to be a part of. Great people, great networking. Everyone's from a different background, but our goal is to find different investment opportunities. There's been some tech, real estate, um, food service. Like it just depends what they bring to the founders of the group to present to everybody. What does that cost to be a member of that group? A, a decent chunk um, between, like, I think right now. $25? No. Okay. Times a thousand or so annual. Wow. Just and, just, and just to be part of the group. How are you? Yes. Okay, wait a minute. You're 30. How do you have 25 grand that you're like, you know what? These guys, this seems like a cool club. I'm especially, just going to join it for 25000 I mean, especially if somebody self proclaims that he's that he's very yeah, frugal. Yeah, I am frugal. Here's yeah. 25 Boom, 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 boom. What? Wh- so, why? How and why did you get involved in a freaking resort? 
Are you kidding me? Yeah. Who does that? So I'm the type of guy that when I'm at a restaurant, I look at the menu and I'm like, what is the cheapest thing for me to purchase? But if it's an investment with people and good ROI, I'm like, take all my money. Um, <laughs> what? But, wow. But through everything with real estate flips, wholesales, agency, rentals, like I'm like, this is a good investment to make. It's getting in the room of people that are doing 10 to 100 times what I'm doing. Um, but with the beach club, it was a great opportunity, way undervalued. Like the the next two offers that came in after us, after we got under contract, were $5 million more than we had it under contract for. So what's the long play here? Uh, refi within six months. Okay. And then hold it for five to 10 years. No development on that, all that land? Yes. Well, so that is developable. I don't know if that's right. Easy word. for you to say. Yeah. For 72 units. Okay. That can be short-term rentals. So at some point that's going to turn into a condo wow. building. And are, have you have you been down to the property yet? Yep. So we went at the end of, end of March um, for three or four days. Um, and it was just an awesome opportunity. Went down there, stayed in an Airbnb close to the beach, and then visited there every day. So for people who don't know where St. Augustine is, can you give us a little insight? Yeah. So it's it's on the eastern coast of the u.s so atlantic side it's an hour drive south of jacksonville or two hours north of orlando wow did you uh did you smoke a cigar on that beach yes yeah and you're like you're like this is all mine yeah (laughs) (laughs) so i'm picturing you sitting in a bar in your bar in uh lincoln your bar was in lincoln right yes so i'm picturing you sitting in a bar and you're on your laptop and the your frugal side so uh they're like okay frugal jace they're like sir can we get you anything to eat and you're like i'll just have a sugar packet or two and some cardboard and then you're like (laughs) oh my god this looks awesome it's a beach resort take my money like twenty five thousand dollars and you just send it but since he but but since he owns a bar jackal and hyde but since he owns a bar he probably tipped him really well for that So, all right, here's the question. How yeah. did you even know about this? I've never heard of this before. I've been in this game a long time. Yeah. Like, I've probably been doing this longer than you've been alive, maybe, almost. Yep. How did you know? Who who told you about this secret club of billionaires? <laughs> of billionaires. Hundreds of billions yeah. of dollars. <laughs> um, so it, it was laser beams on sharks. <laughs> it's it's how, you club. actually sound like it. <laughs> Yeah, in my belly. Um, <laughs> I just sent that, that that GIF to somebody yesterday. <laughs> oh my god! Did you just say GIF? GIF. E. coli. GIF. Is it not GIF? I mean, it's graphical. Uh, that's not good on. That's not good on this. This. Um, so Do you call them GIFs? It's a GIF. Oh that's my god! <laughs> Please, whoever is listening to this, will you respond in the comments and say whether it is GIF with a J or GIF with a G? Well, it is. There's a G. There is a G. Yeah, and I call it a GIF. Oh my god! All right, please continue. Anyway, <laughs> like networking is honestly what it comes down to, and that's like a lot of people ask me, "What is my secret sauce?" And I'm like, networking, connections, relationships. There, there is nothing outside of that. Um, just right place, right time with the right people is what makes, makes all of this happen. I got, I got to tell you, if you ask my kids what my secret sauce is, they, they'd say it's, it's called daddy cane sauce 
or A one. I was thinking A one. No, I, I made A1 my. Guy. I made. I completely mimicked my version of the raisin canes. They call it Daddy Canes. Yeah, yeah. Completely off topic, but that's my secret sauce. Is it the same as canes? I, well, you know, I throw a little bit of extra. I throw a little extra lemon juice in mine. Okay. <laughs> so good. Back Lord. to your secret sauce. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so just, that was a very vague answer to what I asked. But is there anyone specific that? Told you about this, or are yes. you on a? Did you sign a non-disclosure agreement? No, there, there's no non-disclosure. I know this. This actual group has capped at a hundred people. Okay, and they're coming out with kind of a second tier, um, less cost, but don't get as many investment opportunities that you can join for the education side that's in the works. Um, but the and and this is not culty at all. But the organization called <laughs> no, no, it doesn't sound like it. Called the organization that I help run the Omaha chapter of. Um, oh, just, that's, that's where they came from. Yes. Okay. Let's dig into that next. Yes. So people that are like mutual friends with people of that is who told me about it and is part founder with it um, and just got in. Um, and that's also why I went to Las Vegas for a Super Bowl party. Not just to have a Super Bowl party in Las Vegas, but they brought about 100 people out to the Palms in Las Vegas to do a two-day mastermind event, talk through some of their investments. And then I'm like, oh, I'm intrigued. And then the next next investment was this St. Augustine Beach Club deal. Okay, so you jumped on the St. Augustine deal. You went down to visit the property. You got a big pool of investors in there. Yep. Obviously, you said that, just to recap, that you said that you got into this because specifically that you want to get in, get in deeper with these bigger investors, right? Yes. Has, how, many, how many months ago did you invest in this? Three months ago. And has it turned any other results because of that? Have, have the conversations started happening with the other people that are pooled in this? Yes. There's, there's a lot of conversations that are going on because of this. There's one, one specifically who's a real estate fund who's on the East Coast, um, currently in five states doing land development, but building a $50 million fund that I'm working on kind of helping people invest in if they're interested. And you get in the people you bring in, you'll get a piece of that. So not necessarily you have to put money in, but you bring the money in. Yeah. Both, both options are there. So what do you think that this specific investment will, besides what this investment would do for you, what do you think that the people in this investment are going to do for you? Where do you think it's going to take you next 12 months? Yeah. So there, there's no real number that I can put on that. It's more mental state and opportunities that come up to connect the dots. But you think it was definitely bring you two, three, four more, more opportunities in the next 12 months probably. Yeah, definitely. Cause it, it's comes down to the law of averages. Who are you spending your time with and being in those groups of those very business oriented people, no matter what their walk is business is business. How do you scale? How do you get to seven, eight figures a year, whether it's real estate, food service, um, solar crypto like there's all these different avenues out there that can help you scale because the same systems pertain to all of the business models so okay let's say someone else that's listening to this wants to join the illuminati uh, excuse me <laughs> organization excuse me yeah uh autocorrect what so 25 grand so it gets you access to deals that people don't normally see like yep. beach resorts and Greek islands and whatever else you guys are looking at and you invested your money into it. What other things are you doing? Like, do you get to go anywhere? Is there conferences? Is there, um, you know, secret meetings? Yeah. Where you sacrifice 
things. No. <laughs> lambs. No. no, no virgin, virgin, virgin lambs. Um, but the, the Insider Investor Club is the name of this this one with the high dollar subscription. Um, but the organization is a local mastermind that we created in Lincoln about a year and a half ago. And what we're doing is meeting twice a month, both in Lincoln and Omaha, and doing like a short hour meeting, both with networking, but speakers and mastermind events that we're doing. You're doing that at Barrel and Vine in Omaha, right? Yeah. So we're, we actually moved locations from Barrel and Vine recently, um, currently at Juke's Ale House. Oh, you know where that is. Oh, that's uh, Elkhorn. Yep. Yeah, downtown okay. Elkhorn. Yep. yep. But what, what our goal is with the organization, which is $60 a month to be a part of, is we're trying to find the solo business owners that are trying to scale either to get employees, grow top line, get to the point that they can invest 10, 20 grand a year on a business coach or another opportunity to help them even more than we can. Um, Do you also offer protection services for 10% of their earnings? No. Is that? No. Okay. <laughs> Just, I didn't know what all, what all was involved here. Got it. Go ahead. No, but like our mastermind formats, we break out into five to six people and everyone gets 10 minutes to talk on their business and everyone else can give their insight, their ideas, their comments on what they can do differently. But we try to help mentor and coach people to be able to grow their business, to be more more passive or focus on more of the higher level items than just the day-to-day work. How many members do you have in that group? About 70 so far. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. Re- they pretty regularly attend with that number? Yeah. So our Lincoln group um, is normally about 40 members at each meeting, which is twice a month. And then in Omaha, we're around 20 people at each meeting. But we've only been in Omaha for three months now, so it's still very new. Mm-hmm. Interesting. This is where all my memberships are going. Yeah. No. <laughs> He's poaching. <laughs> are, are they are they generally real estate investors in your group or are, what are you getting? What type of what type of No, it, it's really diverse. Like in Lincoln, there's probably three or four people that are real estate focused. The rest of them come from all different backgrounds. There's insurance, cleaning, Amway. Um no Amway yet, oh, which is okay. surprising. <laughs> Um, but just a lot of people who are one or two person shows that are trying to figure out how to scale. I gotta tell you what, there's a point in my life where I felt like Amway was approaching me like every week. <laughs> <laughs> Did hey, we ever talk about what, when I got cornered by the Amway guy in, uh, in Barnes and Noble? No, but I've been cornered in Barnes and Noble by an Amway guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, so... <laughs> this is funny because my wife is not she's a high functioning introvert and uh, like this dude invited uh, why don't you and your wife come and we've got this get together thing and it's at like this hotel right and I talked my wife into going this is before I got into real estate and uh, and we show up and they're like oh yeah here's your seats and whatever and we're sitting in the front of this room and there's a, there's like a hundred people there, and we're like in the very front, like the VIP. I'm like, what is going on? I, this, I, I wasn't putting it together, and I'm like, what is what is this? And Jen's looking at me like, I will kill you right now. And <laughs> that'd be my wife. <laughs> and and so the guy get, that I met in the bookstore gets up on stage and he's like, okay, blah blah blah, and gives this whole big spiel. And I'm like, what what am I? What is this? I look around and. And he keeps including me in the conversation. I'm like, dude, I just met you like yesterday. I don't know what's going on here. Turns out it's like Quickstar, which is a, like an Amway spinoff. Uh, so a product, it's a multi-level marketing and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And, and then <laughs> she, she wanted to murder me after we got done with that it, thing. It's when you get that message or text in your inbox. That's like, I know we were high school classmates oh, 10 God, years yeah. ago, but let's Cringy. connect. 
Yeah, and you're like, okay, what are you selling? What yep. uh, product am I involved in now? Okay. Hey, Chase, so one thing that we've completely not touched yet is your quick, quick draw lending, which is your hard money lending company. Yes. You just don't jump into hard money lending easily. Now, I, I, I'm, a, I'm just going to go ahead and put this in in the the hard money lending <laughs> experts hands and and to dig into this. Okay. Yeah, how did that happen? So I I know how mine happened and like I'm a lot older and you know I've been doing this quite a while. Like how did you get involved in Usually that's an old dude's game or or gals. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, like and less good looking guy thing. You know? Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the old grizzled veterans of the real estate business end up, you know, getting their hoarded money and uh, lending it out. So, how did you get involved in this? Tell us about it. Yeah, again, right place, right time, right people. Um, Stephen Sykes is one of my partners who I know was on a podcast previously. Oh man, he with killed it. Did you listen to that? Yeah, he killed it. Yep, I love his story. We keep on bringing up the cave over and over again, <laughs> <laughs> Dalai Lama. Yeah. But Stephen and I, like, we met about two years ago um, just over coffee, had that whole dating phase probably met four or five plus times. Um, and now, <clears throat> now my wife trains and boards his dog when he's out of town. So awesome opportunity there, but just a great dude. That was the long and, con. He's like, <laughs> just, yeah. hey, you're awesome. And then he found out that you would uh, you watch his dog while he's gone. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> I'll bring you on as a partner, but you got to watch yeah. my dog. <laughs> yes. Um, but just we we kept talking about how we can figure out how to partner together what we can both bring to the table and kind of add to each other's values and hard money lending was one because i i have experience in in that field not doing it but around some of my mentors previously so i had a lot of knowledge about how it worked how to do it how to develop it and brought it to him and i'm like okay can we do this what do we need do we need another partner do we need X amount of dollars? And from there, we found one other guy, Paul, who is fantastic. He's one of the smartest people I've ever met in the finance world. And created is that, is that Paul Steffies? Lofties. Paul, Paul Lofties. Lofties. That's what I meant. That's yep. what I meant. Yep. And from there, we formed our entity. And, and that, going back to the SBA with the bar, was just another keep going to multiple banks, showing our idea like we we failed three or four times with banks about giving us approval because they thought we were being too risky. Well, first and only lien positions on houses is not a risky thing. Okay. Um, Question for you though on this. Yes. Okay. So, how much money did you have to put in personally to get this business going, or was it just your name on the bank paperwork? All of it. So can I can <laughs> can, can, I, can I ask what your your investment is into that initially? The initial, yes. not not now, but initially. Yes, initially it was three hundred thousand. That's, I mean, that's some serious coin up front. Yes. Wow. And what do you what do you put in yours initially when you got yours going? All the partners kicked in two fifty. Okay. Yep. So you big dog him. <laughs> well, I have four partners though. He has three or two, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, we're at three, so probably close to the same entry point. How ner yep. how nervous were you when you guys had that first lend come over? Like did you guys were you guys like overchecking it? I I wasn't overly nervous, honestly. Paul was probably the most nervous cuz he wasn't exposed to this. Steven and I both have experience in this field a little bit, not with by, our own money. money. Yeah. Yep. Um so it was easier for us to understand it and again going back to owning the bar. This is such a minimal risk like if if the money doesn't come back, we now have a house. Mm -hmm. Like there, there is no bad exit strategy with that. 
Did you get a hard money le- loan from Owen to get your 300K going on that first one? <laughs> I might still be paying him. <laughs> Uh, so, okay, so in your contract, does it say you specifically get the house if they fault? On, on having the deed of trust on the house, yes. Okay. But so, but you still have to go through, through the court process to get that, right? Yes. So it isn't just like hand me over the house. Have either of you gotten a house yet? I, I have not, no. Uh, we've, we've had two out of, uh, out of 100 and I think 75 loans. So we've actually... We've Got the house foreclosed on the house. Yeah, went went you know went to auction, sheriff's auction in two different counties, same day. Um, yeah, and and but you didn't get to retain it. Like you, you didn't like they don't just hand the house over. It has to go through auction. Right. Yes. Is, is yeah. That, you that... you okay? So it's like this. So there's sheriff sales in every city, right? So if a homeowner doesn't pay their mortgage, the mortgage holder. Will then file the foreclosure and uh, has to go through a process, civil process, and then typically in Iowa, Nebraska, you're going to be dealing with a sheriff's auction. So it will go to the courthouse steps normally, and they will sell it to the highest bidder. And typically, the lender on the property is going to bid the amount that is owed on the property to them, plus legal fees and penalties and all that. Right. So you tally up everything. Here's the opening bid. And then you bid that to protect your interest in the property. If, if someone outbids you, then you net that amount out of the sale, and you can hopefully come out okay as the lender. When, with these auctions, are they online auctions or are they in person auctions? In person. So you're standing on the courthouse steps or you know wherever you're at, sheriff's place. The, the next time you one of you guys have one of these houses go up for auction, can you just reach out to me? I just want to come. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, super fun. No, I, I, uh, just, I just never witnessed it. I want to see it. So typically what will happen is if you're a lender, like a hard money lender or a bank that is foreclosing on a property, typically you're going to attend in person, one of your employees or partners or whatever, or you're going to have a representative and the representative is typically your attorney. So they're filing all the legal uh, paperwork. So you have to advertise the foreclosure sale. You have to do it in the daily record in, uh, in Nebraska. And uh, when the, the court, that's one of our sponsors, by the way. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So when the sale date comes, uh, you've done all of your due diligence. The lawyer has basically done everything legally to make sure that you're you know covering your bases. And then either you or one of your representatives has to show up and bid the minimum bid. Interesting. Yeah. And if, I mean, if it's a killer deal, yeah, you could bid, you could bid it up. I mean, the, the two properties that we foreclosed on, um, we took a horrible bath on one and did and made money on the other. Uh, didn't quite even out, so we ended up uh, a loser on the deal. But you know, you take your L's. I mean, if you you know 170, 175 deals, and we've had two, it's a pretty good track record. Yeah. So right. it's, it's good information. Yeah. Chase, there's always a question I always like to ask our guests, and I know that you don't have children yet, but you do have four dogs. But you have a lot of stuff going on in your life. You have the hard money lending. You have investment properties. I mean, you got you got a beach resort. I mean, you're you have networking groups. You, I mean, you got. I mean, your life is busy right now, right? You're coming to. You're you're traveling for these meetings. Like today, you travel for this. Yep. I mean, seriously, how how is Catherine like dealing with this? You always being gone and involved. In, like, and how do you make time for her that isn't business time? Yeah. So for us, like work life balance, and she she understands. And when when we got married, she knew that like. There, there was a bigger calling for me. She didn't know quite what or where or when, but when we got married, it, 
it was just kind of a commitment to me that she was going to be okay with most of this, and she she is. Um, but there's a lot of days that I text her and I'm like, hey, I'm going straight to dinner, I'm going out to drinks, or this came up, and she's like, okay, like, let me know when you're home. And, like, she is one of the most supportive cheerleaders that I can have, and I'm so blessed for that, but she she treats what I'm doing just like I do, and she knows that there's a big picture out there. Um, some days our work-life balance it is non-existent, and personally, like, I don't really believe in a work-life balance, like, what I'm trying to do and be able to do in my lifetime. Right now, it's just work, 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 and there's nights that we're sitting on the couch, and I'm still on my laptop or my phone, and she's like, I understand. It's business. Like, get that done because it's going to impact us later down the road. Um, But there's other days, there's vacations, there's stuff that we set out and say, this is date night, my phone's going to be away, or, hey, we're going on vacation, this isn't business, this is family, and those time, that time is just for us, and and no work, no... What kind, what kind of hobbies that you two, do you two have together? Hobbies together? Um... I, I don't know. <laughs> that, that's a hard question for us because, like, we, we do a lot of stuff together where, like, people laugh at it and it's so cliche, but we both say that we're each other's best friends. And people find that funny and they're like, oh, married people can't be best friends. And I'm like, no, we're, like, we confide in each other. Like, it's truly impossible. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. <laughs> but, like, when we get the chance to go out, um, we, we love trying new food. But this last weekend there was a dog show in Lincoln. And she Ooh. went and showed at the dog show with a couple of the, the dogs that she has at the house right now. Um, and, like, before we got married and even after that, I started showing dogs for one of the people that she does some work for. And I'm like, hey, this is kind of fun. Let, let's do it because it's not work-related for me. Well, that kind of leads into one of the one of the charities that you support, right? Yep. So what, what is that? Yeah, so we do a lot with rescues in Lincoln and Omaha. Revolution Rescue is probably one of the top uh, places that we've done a lot of work for. We've fostered over 20 dogs personally. Oh, wow. In, in the last six years. That's a lot of pee on the carpet, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we we love it. We love helping dogs find new homes. And that's something that I know my wife at some point would love to start her own rescue because she is so passionate towards training and helping dogs find homes that were in abusive relationships or just bad bad situations for them. Hey, I want to ask you something, Chase. So I'm a huge dog lover. We have a Bernese Mountain Dog, and, like, I've always had dogs that I've just invested a ton of, like, emotional energy into. And uh, do you have a hard time fostering and then giving the dog away? Like, I want to talk about that. It's kind of like, you know, you're adopting a kid, and then you're just, like, giving the kid away. I mean, I don't understand how that works because we have friends that do that, too. And I I just – I'm, like, I don't – I can't wrap my head head around it. Like, it's home. You're bonding with the dog. And then, like, you give it away to another home. How do you do that? It's difficult, honestly. Like, there's been three or four dogs out of that 20 that I'm, like, I want this dog, this dog. Like, it bonds to me. And I'm, like, our four dogs are honestly, like, her dogs. Like, they don't care for me when she's not there. They're like, okay, I guess you can pet me. But the rest of the time, (laughs) they just follow her. But for fostering, 
Like there, there's been a few of them that I, I want to keep, but like the grand picture, whether it's real estate or, or dogs is how many people can we impact? How many dogs can we help find homes? And if we start adopting dogs instead of just fostering them, there's not as many foster parents out there. So we, as hard as it is sometimes, like we want to adopt them so we can get another foster. Plus you don't want to become a crazy cat lady, but a dog person yes <laughs> crazy dog man is that a thing <laughs> okay know. so 10 years from now you're gonna have this big animal rescue uh and what else what else where else are you gonna be in 10 years from now that is a hard question there, there's just so much opportunity out there that if you would have asked me two years ago where i'd be in 10 years it would be a completely different answer than now so what is it now now it would be owning multiple properties and multiple states being able to geo arbitrage uh travel places what's geo arbitrage geo arbitrage would be like owning properties whether they're airbnbs or just homes in other locations that way you can travel there whether it's for vacation or business write it off and then have a home base wherever you want that to be. One thing I'm curious about. So you bought this resort uh, place in St. Augustine, Florida. Um, do you feel like you have to go there? No. You, don't, you know what I mean? Like, are you guilty? You're like, well, we should probably head down there. I mean, we own it. Because <laughs> we, we've been looking, we meaning uh, my family, we've been looking for uh, like vacation spot in kind of the Tampa, you know, kind of around that same corridor. Yep. And uh, Tampa, St. Pete. Um I one hesitation I always had is like, are we always going to go there? Like because we own it, you know what I mean? It's like a timeshare. Yep. You know what I mean? Do you feel that way or not really? Not really on this one, just because it makes money by itself. Like yeah. if it's an Airbnb or an actual investment property, I'm fine not going there because mm-hmm. it's it'll make more money when you're not there. Correct. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. But like my other grand scheme, like ten years, I I love speaking. Even though this is the first podcast I've ever been on, I love speaking. I love impacting other people, and I would love to be able to be on a stage to do that on a grander, grander level than just one or two people at a time. Because right now, and it's crazy to me, perspective wise, that people are now coming up to me and asking me for advice. Because that's what I did two years ago. And now I'm to the point that I'm like, oh, maybe I am impactful and people like the stuff I have to say. It's because you're putting yourself out there. And when you put yourself out there, people come to you. I mean, yep. I, I, I don't have a lot of, I don't have a ton of confidence in myself and my abilities because I'm still growing my portfolio. Um, and there's a lot. And even when I took over the local RIA at, at that time, I had two properties that day of, and I went to Owen and, and a handful of the other guys that I highly respect and looked up to. I'm like, I'm like, do you know how hard it is for me to stand up in front of you guys and try and talk about real estate at the RIA group when, when everybody I look up to is in the room, but when you start getting involved with it and you, and then, and then you start growing with it and then, and then your confidence comes. And then of course people start looking up to you and then you have the questions that start coming in. So you know, I think uh, uh, real quick. I know, I know, we're uh, coming up on the uh, you know the time here, but um, on the on the topic of imposter syndrome, because this this comes up a lot, and I have I I suffer from this as well. So you kind of touched on it a little bit in that you don't feel maybe like you're worthy to be up in that room because there's people that have a lot more experience than you that are in the audience. Is that fair to say? True. Same with you, Chase. One hundred percent. Yeah. And and so I I feel this also because it doesn't matter if there's a 
fairly large group, and we're talking like 50, 100, more than that people, somebody in the room has done more than you. It doesn't, ma- it doesn't matter. And I think... And if not, you shouldn't be in that room. Right. Yes. Well, m- maybe. Maybe you're coming into a rookie event, and you know the, it depends on the setting. But yeah, of course, I agree but but I would say um, it, there's something that like if I'm in an audience and there's someone that doesn't have as much experience as me talking. Okay, that, I'm just speaking from that perspective. So if I'm in the audience and I hear somebody sharing their story and giving advice, I am totally on board with that. Like they are offering something that they just went through and they're sharing it with people that could get something out of that. I'm not sitting up there thinking like, well, who are you to say that? I've done way more deals than you. And I think that is the speaker's perspective. They're saying, I don't deserve to be here because I know you're listening to me, Owen or Chase or Ted and or Denless. And uh, they're saying uh, like, there's so many people out there that have done way more than me. I'm not worthy to be up here, but I don't think it's not that at all. When you're in the audience, like you're like, I get it. Like everybody's got different things they can add to this mix and education, educate people that are in the audience. So I don't think it's necessarily like, do you have more experience than everybody else here? That's not the point. The point is, are you able to articulate things that you learned along the way that people could take away from that presentation and say, I can apply that to my own situation, regardless, irrespective of my experience level, and and they can succeed based on stuff that you've shared. And I think that is the takeaway out of all of this. And I have to remind myself of that all the time because I look in the audience sometimes and I see the Van Deebs or Jeff Cones or you know people that have done way more than I have and... I say, you know what? I'm good with that. I I will share what I'm sharing, and if you take something out of that, great. If not, no big deal. I'm a, I'm going to assume that you think like I do, and you say I'm going to give you a hall pass for not knowing as much as I do because you're sharing your info and you're on the stage and I'm not. Yep. Right. Yeah. And imposter syndrome is something that I think everyone faces. I I do it every day, and like for me, I I love the process so much that I don't take the time to look from a different perspective and look from the outside lens when my my partners and and my wife remind me all the time like slow down take a second breathe and start moving again um, because I don't see myself as successful yet but to other people I am but that's just a personal thing but another kind of takeaway from that is people like everyone's at a different chapter in their life or whenever they started, whatever adventure they're on is at a different chapter than the next person in the room. But your chapter one might have different info in it than somebody else's chapter one. Everybody's. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think it it depends on your delivery too. If you get up and you're, and you're acting like, you know, everything in the world and you're, you know, 30 years old or 25 or whatever it is. And you, you know, like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a big deal. And like, here's all me. Like it's your, it's your attitude. You're cocky. Yeah. If you go up and you're like, I don't know everything, but here's what I do know. And you share that. I think that's received much differently than if you're up there like, Hey, quit your job when you're 22 and blah, blah, blah. Do like me. You know what I mean? You're like big time. You're trying to be on Instagram and all that, whatever. That's fine. But I think you're going to be received much differently. People respect you for taking the risk of getting up on stage because not everybody's going to do that. Right. So, um, we're, I know we're uh, kind of coming up on some time uh, constraints here. So we want to talk about our uh, failing forward. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Bonus after effects. So 
Chase, in this section, we like to cover a business deal, a real estate, uh, you know, decision you made, uh, some weird situation that happened where it didn't go according to plan, but you learned something along the way. You got something in mind? Yeah, the biggest failing forward thing is just owning the bar and getting into that opportunity. You got pretty deep into that earlier. Is there a couple of takeaways you could give us on that? Yeah, some of the takeaways is is you either win or you learn. Like to to some people, like they they would look at it as a loss and not have learned very much or just go away like negative and upset about it. Where I was like, I met so many great people between customers, vendors, employees. Um, other people that I met through mutual networks, um, learned how to manage people, learned how to run, run a bar. Not that I'll do that again, but all of those skills and contacts are transferable to other things. And just having the self-confidence in myself is probably the biggest takeaway that I can do this. And even if it's not something that I like to do, I can put, put my head down and just grind through it and, make something of it on the backside. Here's the ultimate question. Knowing what you know now, yes. would you still have bought the bar? If you're going to go back and advise the chase that was evaluating the deal and saying, this looks awesome, I want to do it, yes. would you still do it? There's no if, wrong answer here. If you would ask me, I, I would probably say yes. I don't regret it at all just because of the learning that came from it. I would say probably the biggest thing that I would change, and and this is probably good or bad for a lot of other people, is I don't know if I would go to college if I know what I know now. Like, if I could have started real estate at, at 18 instead of 28, like, to me, it's just how much further could I be in a decade? But at the same time, everything happens for a reason. You meet certain people at the right time that help give certain opportunities. Because I don't know that I would have had the same mentors, the same real estate or beach club opportunities, or just networking opportunities out there if I would have done it at 18. Yeah. No, I, I love that. No, that's a good tip. I mean, kind of like Riley Eccles starting at the age of 12. <laughs> <laughs> Which that, is, she uh, th- She's just on a whole other level. <laughs> Which we do have her coming this summer on the do. podcast. Yeah. yeah. So that should be a fun one. Um, well, we're about out of time. We're almost out of time. Let's get into the OT with Owen and Ted. This episode's OT is sponsored by JM Real Estate Capital. Hi, it's Rob, JM Real Estate Capital. We're the money guys that you need to know for all your real estate investments. Talk to us. We can do what your local bank can't or won't do. We don't have millions. We have trillions with a T to lend. 844-WE-CLOSE or go online at jmrecapital.com. That's jmrecapital.com. JM Real Estate Capital. Smart solutions for the real estate investor. All right. So in this section, Chase, we like to uh, ask our guests the same questions each week and rapid fire. So let us know what you got. Okay. Okay. All right. So first question, how were you able to change your mindset to get started in real estate investing originally? For me, changing my mindset was a very internal struggle. There was a lot of cutting out um, people in my life that were toxic or didn't add value at the time and being, Mm. being in your twenties and having to cut out friends that were either high school, college or other people in life. Let's just call, let's just call them Owens. You need to cut out all the Owens. Cut out all the Owens. I'm a good friend. (laughs) It's a very, no, you're good friend. You're just toxic. Very difficult thing to do. But I, I found (laughs) that being 
and, and this could sound wrong, but being alone and in my own mind is where the most development happens because there was no outside people shouting and telling me what yeah. to do. Um, but a lot of it just came from from books, from YouTube, from getting enough like motivational things said to me. But one revelation recently is that motivation doesn't come from other people. It comes from your actions. And like the more I do, the more motivated I am for myself to continue. Yeah, I love that. Uh, what passions or hobbies do you have? Passions, I would say, is just impacting people as much as I can. Um, in real estate or anything we do in life, we all want to make money. But at the end of the day, it's how many people can you bring along with you? How many positive things can you do for other people while doing that? Because like what we do, we don't want to be hurting other people to take their money. It's about making sure that it's mutual and good for everybody. Hobbies, I, I love to golf, uh, spend time with family, cigars, scotch, two of my favorite things. Um, and then just traveling and being able to unwind. We should, call, we should have called you for the golf outing we went on yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so rumor has it, Ted, um, that you oh, may have uh, had a little run-in with a uh, prop so property owner in your golf outing. Is that is that true? Uh, well, there's lots of property owners at the golf uh, uh -huh. place when we're playing and when we're golfing. Is that what you're referring to? Uh, I, I mean, mean, I may be, I mean, we, we, we had Brad Bader uh, that we were Wyatt Simon. Um, we had Axel Foley on our team. So they're all property owners. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm more specifically wondering about any, uh, stray golf balls that you might've hit. Well, you know, I'm still learning about golf. So not all my balls go straight. So uh -huh. I, uh, so definitely did uh, you, did any of your golf balls happen to go inside someone's property? Well, I mean, th th there's definitely property lines. And that so, sounds and, like a yes. So, <laughs> I mean, he didn't get a survey it, done, but it, it, I'm sure I'm sure someone in some people's yards and stuff. Is did, that referring to? I'm uh, maybe specifically referring to a window. Did that did that happen? Well, I mean, if you want to get really specific, there there there, <laughs> there, there, there could have been a window broken yesterday during golf. That's what an umbrella policy is for. Uh huh. Yeah. So, uh, good job on that. How'd you hear about tournament? this? Oh. Maybe a little birdie told me at the gym this morning. Who is that? They. Who's they? They. They. Uh, one of them may have been present to witness this. Who did you go to the gym with this morning? I didn't go with anybody. I happened to see him. Who was it? They. Who's we'll they? call them they. <laughs> uh, Who do you work out with at the mo gym? Moving on. Um, but just so you know, we. We, we so he's very very secretive about there that. Is, I, think, I'm, I have a feeling he's afraid of getting sued. No, you were very you were very around the bush. <laughs> there had a, there just happened to be a ball that just kind of went a little wonky, and and it did break a window, and <laughs> and what, when it broke the window, the uh, I went right up to the front to put my card in there. The cleaning ladies were there. I told them what was going on, I, and tell the rest of this story. Um, I got a I get a phone call. Or I get a text message, a random one from a Rhea member, and she's like, "And she's like, uh, yeah, yeah, how's your golf game going today?" And I'm like, "I'm like," and I went to the guys that are on team. I'm like, "Do you guys post them on Facebook?" And they're like, "Like, no, no." And I, so I called, I called that member up, and she's like, "Oh, I manage that property." And, uh, and she's like, uh, "And she's like, well, what? Where should I send that invoice to?" <laughs> So just to recap here, Ted played in a golf tournament, and one of his drives uh, went a little awry, entered a residence 
that happened to be managed by a Rhea member, which Ted owns the Omaha Rhea. <laughs> and he got a call about it like shortly after. So you can't go anywhere. You're micro famous. I, I actually thought that that probably was one of the best situations that could have happened. <laughs> Because I was just com- – well, so my partners have a window company, and I'm like, hey, I can have a window guy out tomorrow. And they're like, no, our maintenance guys will take care of it. We'll just send you an invoice. So who would you run into? They. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so the next question for you, Chase, is where do you like getting your real estate content from? So a lot of the content that I got when I started real estate was from YouTube. There was a handful of different uh, bloggers on there that are doing big things. A lot of them – none of them were local – but one of them is uh, Graham Stephan. He he's a younger kid doing a lot of financial and real estate-focused stuff. Uh, Ryan Pineda is another one oh, yeah. who is just gigantic. Um, you know he used to play for the A's? Cheers. Yes. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I knew him as a baseball player. Like, I used to follow – like, I'm in fantasy baseball – two fantasy baseball leagues. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah he's blown up a lot. He, he's an awesome guy. Um, and then just a lot of local people, like I said, I had some mentors when I started that really didn't have a presence on podcast or YouTube or anything, but just people that showed me the way. Mm-hmm. What about books? Do you have a, a favorite book or if the question goes, if there was a new investor and they wanted yep. to get into real estate investing, is there a book you suggest to them? Or if they were looking to get into something different, like multifamilies or a different, was there like a book that you would suggest? Yeah. So books for me, it, it, that's honestly one of my goals this year is to read more books. I'm doing a lot of audio books, but along the way, um, just, just kind of depends what kind of business avenue they're trying to get into. Cause for me, there, there's not, secret there there are but secrets to each industry businesses business at the end of the day it doesn't matter what product you're selling you're all trying to make the same margin or margin on your products or services um rich dad poor dad was probably one of the first books i ever read and currently um the 48 laws of power is a big one um good to great and the subtle art of not giving an f is one that i really like right now because a lot of the people that are running in my circles, like when I went down to Florida, I brought a suit coat or suit jacket for every day. And they're like, you don't need to wear those. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm young. I need to show that I'm professional. And they're like, no, this is a group of 40 people that are paying to be here because you are here. You are part of the group. And to me, it's like, I, I still need to look that. And they're like, no, go read this book, the subtle art of not giving an F and, just learn that at a certain level, like it's not about what you're putting out. It's about the knowledge and influence that you're giving to others. Love it. All right, Chase. So what are you looking for in your business right now? And how can maybe listeners help support you with that? Yeah. in my business, just like everyone else in real estate right now, properties. Yeah. Any, any particular type? Um, multifamilies would be great, but in the Lincoln area, looking for, for flips right now, Lincoln or Omaha, we're looking for, for apartment complexes, but we're getting ready to scale a few things on the hard money lending side. We're almost lent out, which is awesome because we're only six months into it and almost fully lent out. So we're looking both for people who are looking to borrow money from us, 
but at the same time looking for investors that could help us kind of scale to the next level of of capital to lend with. And who is your best borrower? Three borrowers. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but he's not. He's, he's actually dead serious. No, so uh, <laughs> that that's awesome. So thank you for sharing your, your story here. Ted, I know uh, you always like to ask uh, the last question here, which is... Do you have any shout-outs that you like to give to any mentors or just impactful people in your life? Shout-outs to to my wife, Catherine, for just being supportive to everything I do. Like, couldn't get to where I am mentally without her kind of supporting me along the way. And just shout-out to all of the mentors and business partners that I have that have also supported me and shown me that I am, I'm not just kind of a blip on the radar that what I'm doing can be impactful. Um, and also shout out to people in the future that, that do the same thing. I think there's so many people out there, again, going back to imposter syndrome, like all of the entrepreneurs who want to do something, shout out to you for the action that you can take in the next 12 months. That's awesome. I, I tell you what, Chase, I've been really impacted by the conversations that we've recently had. Um, I, <laughs> you'll definitely be a person that in 10 years from now, it, you're going to be an icon uh, in the area just with how, how much you've done so far. Um, I mean, there's not any under 30 year olds. I know that have hard money lending. Well, he's 30. So, well, you, you started <laughs> before, quite make the list. You, you did start it before. You oh, oh, okay. Okay. And, yeah. and, and have beach resorts and have investment properties. <laughs> I know. Like, how about that Trump card? Yeah. You're like, Oh, that's cute. You do multifamily. I like, uh, do you have one of these? Boom. It throws down his uh, beach uh, resort card, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's pretty cool. Uh, I, I think that you're going to get a lot of people reaching out to you, and I, I think that you're going to play a mentorship in a lot of people's lives as they grow. Um, I, I cannot wait to get you back on the show in a year or so and kind of find out where, just what you've done in this short little time. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for traveling out here to the office and uh, the studio, should I say, the studio, not the office. But um, it's just awesome. But if you're, if you're loving what you're hearing from Chase and uh, show him your love, give him a review on your favorite. Uh, give him a five-star review on whatever you're listening to. But if you're on Apple, please give us a five-star review and a written uh, review. And we'll read that out there. But we did get a written review this week. Oh, we did? Yes. Wow, this just in. Just in. What do you got? Is it good? Yeah, so Jake Danker says... Uh, love listening to this. Always make sure to tune in immediately after it releases. Have learned some fantastic tips and tricks from the some great real estate investors. Keep up the good work, guys. Nice. So thanks, that, Jake. Thanks, Jake, man. And uh, so, without any further ado, Owen Dasher, will you see us out? On behalf of Ria Radio, Dennis Bertrand, and Ted Kosh, I'm Owen Dasher, and you've been listening to Chase. I may or may not be a member of the Illuminati. Call your signing, signing off. off.